0: Welcome, welcome, welcome back to another episode of the lovely Sound and Groove podcast with yours truly, host Evan Delbegin, giving you the fifth episode. Now, pardon me, this is the fifth month I'm recording this in, so I'm getting a little mixed up. This is the third episode of 2016 for the Sound and Groove podcast, which uh, you can find on musicofevansmind.blogspot.com, but exclusively otherwise hosted by notthepublicbroadcaster.com, a great. Website you should check out for articles about sports, culture, politics. It's a wonderful uh, array of opinions and subjects. Anyhow, this is a follow-up to the theme from my last episode, the one that came out a couple weeks ago, about uh, royal songs, that meaning music that refers to titles of royalty or rulers, kingdoms, empires, you name it. And I believe I called it... It'll forever be royal. Which is, okay, kind of my more obtuse take on, you know, they'll never be royals, you know, the uh, a song from that uh, lovely uh, lord from New Zealand. Anyhow, so I'm gonna, you know, you you can get what that episode, what, what that theme is all about by listening to my last episode, actually. But, suffice it to say, there's uh, lots of songs that have titles or. Subject matter referring to something of that nature kings, queens, dukes, duchesses, and so on and so forth. I hope you understand. Anyway, I'm going to kick it off with a song called Stepping Out Queen from Van Morrison, a truly great artist, one of my favorites, at his best, one of the true geniuses of uh, soul of any kind you want to name it. I mean, it's not Memphis soul, it's not gospel, but. He uh, fused a lot of different things, coming from North Ireland, you know, uh, Celtic music, the gospel, country and western, R&B, jazz. That was all his uh, forte, every one of those things. And uh, he had a bit of a comeback artistic statement, masterpiece of an album to me, in 1979 called Into the Music. And uh, this is what that's a track off of. After a few years of sort of uh, more, uh, I guess, uh, inconsistent releases and uh, not huge critical praises. He came out with this one, sort of reestablished his spiritual side, kind of an awakening, almost like a Christian rebirth. In the 80s, he explored a lot of these themes, got almost very into the music, as the title would suggest, to the point where really only his hardcore fans can get into Van anymore. But anyhow, let's listen to "Stepping Out Queen in the Sound of Groove podcast. Stepping Out Queen from Van Morrison here on the Sound of Groove Podcast. Episode 2 of It'll Always Be Royal from Van's criminally underrated Christian rebirth period, you might say, of the late 70s, early 80s. and He really went through a whole spiritual journey in the 80s, as I was alluding to uh, before the song, and kind of lost him a lot of commercial fortunes. Didn't really gain him a ton of new fans, but I think it strengthened the hardcore fan base he already had. Anyway, I really think if you... Uh, Delve beyond the quintessential Van Morrison 70s albums, you'll find some delights in the 80s. He kind of eventually went back to his R&B, blues, and jazz roots in the 90s, though, and uh, away from the Celtic mysticism a bit more. Now, here's a track uh, that refers to a different kind of ruler, obviously, the male kind, the king, and this is called Wheat Kings. It's a tragically hip song and, of course, prominent in the news here in Canada for the Final tour they're undergoing due to the unfortunate terminal brain cancer that lead singer Gord Downey has been diagnosed with. And of course, the awful <laughs> Ticketmaster Squabbles and StubHub and all that other stuff. Gee, I, wa- I better watch what I say here. They're a sponsor. No, they're not really, but you know, it's uh, been in the uh, news lately that a lot of people, big, huge hip fans, speaking of quintessential, the quintessential Canadian rock band, can't get tickets to see their favorite ch- uh, band when they come town on perhaps their last visit at least in this incarnation with Gord Downey it's all quite uh, sad and even gotten the government involved in it you know trying to get the to the bottom of it. I mean, well sad you know not as sad as the news of his uh, illness obviously but sad in that sense anyway so this track is off their great 1992 album fully completely which is full of Canadiana all the way through it you know it's got at the 100th Meridian, 50 Mission Cap, referring to the Bill Barocco crowd. Anyway, look it all up. It's very uh, Canadian oriented. Even this song right here. Wheat Kings are actually a junior hockey team out of Brandon, Manitoba, by the way. Uh, this song talks about the wheat farmers of uh, the prairies and Canadian prime ministers and uh, all kinds of news stories only Canadians would be uh, familiar with, such as the wrongful imprisonment of David Milgaard. Anyway, enough of that. We'll get right into playing it from the Tragically Hip. Here's Wheat Kings on the Sound of Group podcast.
1: Kings and pretty things Let's just see What the morning brings There's a dreamy dreams Where the high school's dead and starved It's a museum we're. After dark, the walls are lined all yellow, gray, and sinister. Hung with pictures of a parent's prime minister. We, kings, and pretty things. breaking story on the CBC. A nation whispers we always knew that he'd go free.
0: And yeah, you can't be right there was the Tragically Hip with Wheat Kings, one of their many staples on classic rock or, you know, even modern rock radio in Canada. Of course, being Canada's, you know, lovable, uh, popular, never really made it abroad heroes of the rock and roll world since their formation in the mid-80s and then coming to uh, fruition with a record deal and a first full-length album later in the decade. But they defined 90s rock for a lot of people. They weren't really grunge. They weren't particularly punk. They just sort of flashed back to a time when rock and roll was a little different, more gritty, earthy, bare bones, kind of like Canada, the version of CCR, just with maybe a little bit more the musical chops, maybe not quite the songwriter or the vocalist of The Command of John Fogarty, but Gord Downey, with his uh, very uh, poetic and uh, interesting lyrics, kind of echoes a lot of what's been, what's been great about Canadian music in the you know, lyrics of people like Neil Young or Gordon Lightfoot, and also in uh, Canada's great tradition of uh, poets and authors, too, which he is a uh, obvious fanatic about, too. So uh, let's move on. about that, to a band it's kind of, uh, well, rootsy too, and maybe if they were Canadian would be considered bigger than we uh, talk about them now. Critics know them very well from that time, but they're a very uh, kind of long-running band that doesn't get a lot of press or ink, and they're called the Mekons. They formed in late 70s in uh, England, kind of were the same ethos as the Gang of Four, kind of left-wing political stance, university students, more of an art collective kind of punk rock group with uh, you know, limited musical abilities. They are kind of a little more crude and less danceable and funky than the Gang of Four, not really at the beginning. You know, your cup of tea, if you like the, the kind of uh, uh, rhythms and stuff that you could get out of the Gang of Four. They're a little different, um, but a few great tracks even in that stage. Now, they kind of disbanded in 1982. When they got back together a couple years later, started to explore, you know, maybe a more ragged, punky side of country and Bluegrass And kind of were at the forefront of the alt-country movement with an album called Fear and Whiskey, which is a great album in 1985. And uh, using fiddle, sly guitar, you know, mandolins and stuff, instruments that you never would have heard a punk band touch before, they originated a completely new, adventurous style for the band that they've been going off on ever since uh, with their off-and-on work. And uh, this was uh, from 1987. This is an album. This comes from an album called the uh, Mekon Honky Tonkin'. It's a track called Prince of Darkness. So let's take a listen to that and you get a sense of what the Mekons were all about uh, with their exploration as an English band of course going in a rootsy country direction. And a little bit of English folk, you know, just for your uh, taste buds. And uh, let's get a listen to it right here on the Sound of Group Podcast. It's the Mekons with Prince of Darkness. had the Mekons with Prince of Darkness and now on the Sound of Group podcast let's switch to another side of royalty that was Prince we just went through of course this one we're going to do is again about kings and it's a song about the king of ska that's in fact the title of it it's a collaboration from 1993 by Desmond Decker the very influential uh, rocksteady ska singer from back in the 60s who had a huge hit with Israelites and uh, 007, Shantytown, several other great recordings. Uh, His career kind of sagged in the 70s and into the 80s, but his old hits were revived every once in a while, various remixes and re-releases of Israelites. And um, he did an album with a band called The Specials, who were part of the ska revival in the early 80s themselves and had a bit of a uh, notable, interesting heyday. In 1983, they did an album called King of Kings that he collaborated with them on, as I said. And this was one of the best tracks on that, really. And it kind of evokes a lot of what made both acts pretty good in their prime. It's uh, a song called King of Ska, as I said. And uh, you'll get a real taste of what that music's about. It's a little more of a slow ska, though. It's not like one of them up tempo ones with, you know, whistles and, and real uh, chiming trumpets going and uh, real heavy. Uh, accelerated tempo, so don't worry about that. You know, the headbanging kind of ska, like the band Rancid or anything like that. You know. So anyway, 1993 is the year Desmond Decker who passed away actually in 2006, and the Specials with King of Ska here on the "It'll Always Be Royal" Part Two theme for the Sound and Groove podcast. Take it away, guys. was King of Ska by Desmond Decker and The Specials from 1983. So, here we are up next the Sound and, Pro- and Groove podcast. We've got John Lennon, a solo song of course, not the Beatles' John Lennon. And it's quite near the end of his recording career, unfortunately, his life as well. From his 1980 sessions leading up to the release of Double Fantasy, see, Lennon had spent five years or so on the shelf not really doing anything, kind of retreating from the spotlight a long time to go between albums back then and by the way it was five years pretty much like giving up in the music world and disappearing and he didn't make any appearances or do any collaborations or any kind of recording work in this time which made the um disappearance all the more mysterious to people and they all oh, they knew he where he was and that he was alive but he basically explained that you know he was taking the time to help raise his new son sean uh, living a more domestic life he called himself a house husband while Yoko tended to their uh, finances, being a um, well-trained, well-schooled daughter of Japanese bankers, she was quite uh, knowledgeable on how to build Lenin's empire, which, after his death, became a, practically, practically a cottage industry, and she has made millions and millions and millions off of it. But even then, she was working on it, and Lenin kind of you know, wrote songs, did some home demos during this time, but he didn't go into a studio until 1980 after writing a slew of songs think most of them on a holiday, on a tropical holiday, and he decided he got the itch again to perform, or to at least record, went back into the studio and worked on an album that he put out with Yoko for the first time they did an album that went together and didn't have a companion piece, because you see, well, at least other than they're split in the mid-70s. Before that, every time Lennon had put out an album from um, his first solo album, John Lennon Plastic Ono Band, up until Mind Games, there was always a Yoko Ono one that came out with it, and they did a few together. They're mostly, you know, music, concrete stuff, uh, weird sound collages, tape loops, and everything like that. They had done that together, and a few other things, kind of like live albums, you know. But there was Unfinished Music, Volume 1 and Volume 2. There was uh, the Wedding Album. It was all kind of abstract, bizarre, avant-garde, nothing like anything Beatles or music fans would have expected or wanted to hear, really. But Double Fantasy was different. Yoko pretty much had the uh, line share of stuff, the ha- half of the songs, I guess. Uh, were her on vocals even so it was really a true collaborative rock album, and Lennon started thinking he could turn her into some kind of new wave singer, somehow with the kind of rise of female empowerment in music. But anyway, a lot of these songs made on Double Fantasy, but some didn't. And after his death, they were completed in 1984. Well, not completed necessarily, but a lot of the stuff that was left in the cutting room floor was put out an album called Milk and Honey. And this is a track off of that. It's called My Little Flower Princess it's not fully realized you know it's obvious there are overdubs to make and he hadn't completed some of the lyrics and obviously it would have been built up a bit more but it's a really charming and and pretty song i think that had a lot of potential anyway we'll take a listen to my little flower princess on the santa group podcast
2: two one two three four
3: Thank you
0: that little number was My Little Flower Princess by John Lennon from 1980 but released in 84 on the album Milk and Honey and uh, that track, or that album also had some tracks that were supposed to be on his next solo album it was probably going to come out in 81 or 82 or something I would think and there was Borrowed Time stepping out a lot of these songs were written and offered to uh, Ringo Starr to record first because the other three Beatles were always helping out good old Ringo from the drums but uh, he didn't really want to go through the recording them after Lennon's death. Didn't have the heart to do it, uh, which is too bad. And anyhow, you got the story behind it all. Lennon's come back, and then, well, the album wasn't really a high seller at first, and critics were sort of like, eh, I don't know what to make of this. Is he really what he used to be? But they warmed up to it, and when he was assassinated just two months after it came out, or so, or a month after it came out, it really spiked interest in the record, obviously, and critically too. I think people started to come around to. The fact it was one of his best solo albums, in fact, it was one of the best that Yoko had ever been involved in, that's for sure. Her annoying singing was kept to almost the minimum compared to other works. Yay! Anyhow, let's move on. Here's a track that talks about a particular royal title of nobility, I guess you could say, called A Duke. And I played a track uh, with that in it, I think, in the last episode, but I'm not sure. But Anyway, this is Duke of Earl, which is a very famous R&B song, kind of more of a doo-wop style from the uh, one-time pretty successful R&B singer Gene Chandler, who's still alive today, almost 79 years old. And it's called Duke of Earl. And this was a number one pop hit, in fact, early in 1962, when it came out, um, I think it was in January of that year. And it really set uh, Gene Chandler on a course to become well-known in both the pop and R&B worlds. He had plenty of hits before and after that, but... This was the one that defined him that you hear on oldies radio that gets replayed all the time on the AM dial. So you might have already heard it. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, well, I hope you like it anyway. So here's Duke of Earl from 1962 on the Sound of Groove podcast. Duke,
2: Duke, Duke, Duke of Earl. Duke, Duke, Duke of Earl. Duke,
3: Duke, Cabo, Duke of Earl. Duke,
4: Duke, Duke, Duke of Earl. Duke, Duke, Duke of Earl.
3: As I, I, I walk through this world, nothing can stop the Duke of Earl. And you, you are my girl, and no one can hurt you. Oh no, yes I. Duchess, Duchess of Earth We will walk through my
5: dukdom And the paradise we will share Yes,
3: I
0: Gene Chandler's big success, Duke of Earl. Now he had some other monster R&B songs, I guess you could say, on the R&B charts. Rainbow, To Be a Lover. Um, Also, You Threw a Lucky Punch, which was kind of a response song to You Beat Me to the Punch, which was Mary Wells' hit in 1962 or 63 on Motown. Anyway, he later got into production, did pretty well with that, reinvented himself with some disco hits in the late 70s early 80s. Just uh, kind of a real maverick in the music industry, going going from singer to producer to executive eventually, actually. Mm -hmm. So he he still shows up on oldies tours once in a while, but comfortable living, I'm sure he's got. Anyhow, Gene Chandler, kind of a minor unsung R&B legend of the Chicago scene, which was primarily Curtis Mayfield. I mean, this guy collaborated, produced, or wrote for almost every R&B act in that city, including Chandler. But he's another guy we'll get to some other time, I'm sure. I've already put him on several shows. But anyway, there you go. Gene Chandler with the uh, charming Duke of Earl. A huge hit early 1962. Very much rooted in the doo-wop style. But those things still uh, poke through once in a while in a rather dismal music scene of the early 60s before the British Invasion hit North America. So let's move on now to a uh, folk singer, I guess you can call her that, primarily acoustic-based artist named Judy Sill. She wrote some of the, some songs that were very evocative and had a lot of religious imagery in them. Never truly some kind of Christian convert herself, though very much interested in the whole uh, idea of the the mythical sort of erotic Jesus kind of thing, you know, going on with the Bible and all. She was very into that as part of her uh, main focus of songwriting of lyrics, at least. Having a troubled uh, upbringing, childhood with uh, death deaths in the family and stuff. Then later. In a kind of despair of a a drug addiction in her early adult years, she turned to music after a drug bust when she was out of prison, made a pledge, and turned her life around for a little while at least. She was signed to Asylum Records and uh, David Geffen was a close friend of hers. She did uh, a self-titled solo album in 1971 and another one in 1973 called Heart Food. And then uh, a follow up never came. She recorded plenty of songs and was dropped from the label people think after she had made a comment out of frustration about Geffen at a concert, inadvertently or maybe intentionally revealing that uh, he, he was gay. And uh, that was... Uh, the hammer came down on her, and uh, she relapsed into drug addiction after some car accidents and pain that she could not deal with and uh, died of acute cocaine toxicity or something like that in 1979. A tragic story ending, ending up that way. After such promise, she had a really unique voice, kind of plain... Flat, drawl, almost Midwestern and a little little twang on the end of it. You'll hear it on this particular track. It's called The Lamb Ran Away With The Crown. Another song that has a bit of sort of biblical imagery toward it. Which many songs on on that album do. Anyway, we'll take a listen to it here on the Sound of Group Podcast. Judy Sill from her 1971 solo debut. One of only two albums she put out in her lifetime. The third came out well after she died in 2005 called Dreams Come True. This is... The lamb wearing of the crown so let's take a listen
6: Ba-da-da. once i heard a serpent remark if you try to evoke the spark you can fly The liar, he made me glow with a strange desire, and I rode on the fire, with a blue sacred opal to bless the battleground, but I turned to see its reflection, and the lamb ran away with the crown, but I turned to see its reflection. I screamed and wailed And I cursed out loud And I say
0: Okay, there was the lamb ran away with the crown from Judy Sill. As we continue on this Sound and Groove podcast episode, It'll Always Be Royal, part two. The third episode of 2016 out of six that are to come. Or, well, they're not six more, but, you know, three more after this one. Kind of roughly estimating, I think you'll get one in July. You'll get another one in September. Another one in November or December. Yaha. Uh-huh. so I think uh, what I'll do is have... One episode would be one theme, and then the next two will be another theme themselves. Anyhow, let's get on to the next track. This is called Fake Empire. This is by a band called The National. It's from their 2008 album, Boxer, which kind of was one of the more critically acclaimed ones that broken through. And this is one of the best songs that Boxer, that I'm sorry, that The National has off of that album, and probably in general. Um, it came out in 2007, and... Uh, A lot of people, you know, raved about it When it came out, the song, the album And uh, I want you to take a listen so you can see What that's all about Uh, It's um, Bryce Dressner of The National wrote the song And said he wanted To write a song with based on a certain polyrhythm The 4 over 3 pattern Which is heard in the piano And um, You can basically get something like, you know a chopsticks sort of thing going on the piano, something very simplistic, but a weird rhythm. Is how he explained it. I'm paraphrasing him a little bit. Anyhow, this uh, album, uh, Boxer, that this track comes off of was the fourth one that The National did. And uh, they're still going, they're still putting out uh, some pretty decent work to this day. Uh, four of their albums were included on New Musical Express's 2013 list of the 500 greatest albums of all time. So they have their big fans. And uh, they come out of Cincinnati, Ohio, formed out of there in 1999. So anyway, here we go. Fake Empire by The National on the Sound Group Podcast.
7: us we're half awake in a fake empire we're half awake in a fake empire tiptoe through our shiny city with our diamond slippers on do our gay ballet and us. bluebirds on our shoulders we're half We're half awake in a fake empire
0: Righty, that was a wonderful fake empire by the National from 2007. And now we'd like to move on with one more track for this particular podcast-themed episode, the part two of "It'll Always Be Royal," the songs with royalty in the titles or the subject matter of the lyrics, as you may or may not know by now. I'm just summarizing. Anyway, the last song is Sir Duke. It's a Stevie Wonder track that people might be familiar with out there listening. Off of his vaunted double album from 1976, Songs in the Key of Life. His third straight album that won Album of the Year at the Grammys. He was basically lauded by them. They, For some reason, the Recording Arts and Sciences Academy Board always liked to vote for Stevie. Uh, he had taken a year or two off after a uh, near-fatal car accident where he was a passenger obviously Stevie Wonder and um, after the groundbreaking trio of albums Music of My Mind where I kind of get my blog name from actually uh, Talking Book in Inner Visions he released a less stellar one uh, but a pretty good one in fulfilling this is his first finale and then came this double LP landmark that uh, might have been his best one altogether at the earned se- several kudos as the album of the year from a lot of publications <clears throat> in '76, Stevie had gotten his creative control from Motown Records in 1971 upon turning 21, and boy did he ever run with it and turn himself into the most unique soul R&B artist of the 70s incorporating new sound of synthesizers into his oeuvre. Uh, but for uh, Songs in the Key of Life, he went away from recording all the stuff on his own, being the one man band, to bringing in outside musicians again to recording with session guys. And this track here is a tribute to the greats of jazz and of the big band days like Duke Ellington. So let's get right to it and play Sir Duke from Stevie Wonder back in 1976. the boys. Yeah, there's Sir Duke, Stevie's great tribute to the jazz giants and composers and band leaders of yesteryear. A very popular single in its own right, top five pop and R&B hit. Something Stevie, I don't know how many times more you'd get it. Sometimes in the 80s, but then after that, you know, usual infertile period. Anyway, that's the end of this episode, part two of the It'll Always Be Royal theme. I'm glad you could join us on Sounding Group Podcast. Until next time... Keep tuning in, keep listening, and keep discovering music. Goodbye now.